get the mic. Honey, I got something to uh, say. Uh, hey, ooh, I like that. Can uh, you turn that up for uh, me? It's Maja, but you know, Maj for short. <laughs> Ask Maj. What's up, what's up? It's your girl Maj, and we are back with another episode of Ask Maj, the podcast where I am spilling all the real tea. So Maj moment of the day. I know that, you know, there's a lot going on in our world, Um and people feel helpless. I know so at times I feel helpless. You know, I really don't know what to say. I don't know what to think. You know, there's, I don't know what to do. You know, there's a million and one things going on. Um, so I just want to encourage you that if things become too overwhelming, just take a step back. Like, take a step back to focus on you. Like, that is the marriage moment of the week. Um Take a step back and focus on you. I think it's good to to stay updated. I think it's good to read about what's going on, but it's also good to take some time for you, to truly, truly take a step back and take some time to get yourself together, to kind of regroup, uh, meditate, pray, read a book, um, and and ease your mind. Like, do something to ease your mind, to kind of get your mind off of of what's happening. Um, And I know it takes true discipline, but... Um, self-love is is the best type of discipline. Um, so yes, I encourage you just to take a step back and, and focus on you if things become too overwhelming. So I have a bit of mixed emotions here. Um, obviously, I'm excited to be recording again and talking to all of my listeners, but I'm saddened because we are in a crazy, crazy state right now. Um, we've seen the senseless murders of, of these black bodies, of our George Floyds, our Ahmaud Arbery's, our Breonna Taylor's, and the list goes on, and some of the names we don't even know. Um, and so I'm here today because I want to shed light um, on, on these systemic injustices um, that are happening in America. And right now, you know, as you've seen on social media, the world is in an uproar um, because of this. And so I brought together some really special people um, to talk a little bit about what's happening um, and what we can do to combat this. So I'm so grateful that they're here. I'm so excited um, to hear what they have to say. Um, so we'll start with with some brief introductions. Um, we have Ms. Janisha Harris, Ms., Mr. Tyleek McMillan, um, and Ms. Amanda Mbata. So thank you guys so much for being being here, if you want to start with a with an introduction of, of who you are and what it is that you do, um, Janisha, we'll start with you. Sure. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm Janisha Harris. I'm a student at Tennessee State University, biology, psychology, double major. Yeah. Minor in political science. Um, I am a student. I'm an activist. I'm an organizer, a writer, and I'm a rebel. Okay. Um, so <laughs> Hello? Re- yeah, recently, um, I mean, I've been arrested twice in the past year um, for my activism here in Tennessee, which is a red state, um, very conservative state. Um, so a lot of my activism is rooted in that. I'm also a fellow Fortnite National. Um, we do a lot of political engagement with college students. Um, I don't really want to talk about all my accolades, but I'm just <laughs> Come here. on, accolades. Um, <laughs> I'm here um, to share space with some great people. You have some some great people here on the panel today. Um, so yeah, I'm just happy here. Good stuff. Thank you so much for being here, Talik. What about you? Tell us about you. Yeah, so my name is Tyleek McMillan. I'm a recent graduate of the North Carolina A&T State University. Aggie pride. 
Maggie Fry. <laughs> As a uh, as a policy advisor for Reverend Al Sharpton National Action Network, I began um, working for Reverend Sharpton at the age of 13. Um, so I've uh, been in movement at a, for a pretty good little minute now. Um, and where I do in D.C., I work as a advisor to um, congressional members and corporate executives to educate them on the opportunities and challenges uh, that face uh, uh, communities of color. Nice, nice. All right, and Miss uh, Amanda. Last but not least. All right. So my name is Amanda, and I also graduated from North Carolina a and mm-hmm. um, most recently with my master's in social work. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, um, and I'm currently the client services director at a local rape crisis center. Um, my position includes me just trying to make sure that the practices we're doing are equitable to all clients um, and really just shaping the way we serve. Nice, nice. So, yes, again, thank you all so much for being here um, today. I think it's important to have people who are on the front lines um, and who are fighting for justice, not just when these things happen, uh, but but who are proactive um, and not just reactive. So thank you again for being here. So we're, we're going to jump right into right into the panel because I want to get as much covered as we possibly can. So this, this one is for everybody. Um, did did we all see the video? Did everybody see the video? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, yes. Okay. So, Talik, let's start with you. What would you say was your first reaction um, seeing the video? Yeah, as I sat and watched the video on social media and um, about George Floyd, it was heart-wrenching. Again, we saw an innocent Black man get murdered by a system that vowed to serve and protect. Again, we saw a man cry out for his mother, repeating those same words as Eric Gardner, saying, I can't breathe. And it hurt me to my soul to know that another family um, had to go through the same tragedy um, again. In particular, I work uh, with Eric Garner's case. We work very closely with the families of these cases. And Glenn Carr, the mother of Eric Garner, who was almost like a grandmother to me, she adopted me uh, a while back. And to see her and her her family had to relive the pain of losing her son, uh, saying those same exact words that... Uh, that I can't breathe was very, very uh, heart-wrenching. So, I mean, it's very tough here in these cases and definitely like working with the families um, is, is, is definitely tough. Janisha, what about you? When I, I try my best not to see the video because I do not want to be reminded of black trauma and death. Um, but when it's on social media so much, um, you just tend to press play sometimes. And so that's, you know, what kind of happened with me. Um, when I saw George... I saw Philando, I saw Eric, I saw Trayvon, I saw Sandra, I saw all of these Black people who um, have been murdered by the police. And it kind of came in like a flashback almost. Um, so yeah, just just really, really sad. Yeah. I, I can't even begin to explain the feeling. Good stuff. Um, Amanda? Yeah, I saw it. Um, my day started off really good. I was sitting on the couch about to get ready to have my first meeting, scrolling on Facebook. And of course, again, that's the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, and as I was watching it, I just began to cry. But I don't even think it was me seeing him. I think it was what what he was saying and what the bystanders were saying that really got to me. The rest of the day was really shot. Understandable. Um, I think that that's I think that that can be pretty consistent. You know, if you ask anybody what was their reaction to to the video, um, 
And for me, it was it was one of those things where it didn't hit me right then and there. It kind of hit me later. Um, and, and Janisha, what you said kind of stuck with me. You said, you know, you saw Philando. Uh, Talik, you said you saw Eric. Um, you know, you saw Trayvon, you know, and for me, I saw my brothers, you know what I mean? I have a black dad. I have three black brothers. And to see him lying there screaming, I can't breathe. I saw my brother's face. Um, and, and that was, you know, emotional for me. And that in itself, you know, can can incite anger and, and emotion and sadness. Um, so so, no, I totally agree. Amanda, I'm not sure if you saw this on social media, but there was this post going around that that said Will Smith um, said that racism isn't getting worse. It's getting filmed. Um, and so now that we've seen this video and, and several other videos, do you agree with this? And, and if so, why or why not? I absolutely do agree. Um, most of the racism that people are speaking of is what we're seeing which is the videos of police brutality and things like that. But what we're not seeing that's getting filmed is what's going on in the educational system, mm. what's been going on in the educational system, what's been going on in, in the judicial system, what's been going on in the healthcare system. So it's not getting worse. It's always been here. We're only seeing one part of it. Mm. Right. So and I also know that, you know, that's why I started off by asking asking you all, you know, if, if everybody watched the video. And I mean, this question is for you as well. Um, you know, there are a lot of people on social media who, who are like, I refuse. You know, I refuse to watch the video. And then there are some people like, you know, watch it, watch it, watch it. So would you say that, you know, we've become desensitized to this or, you know, it's almost like we're we see we see this so, so much that it's not even a, a thing. Like we've all almost become immune. What do you think about that? Um, to what you said about some are avoiding watching it, we're not desensitized, we're traumatized. Mm. And um, that avoidance is a really big part of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, when you think about people who have experienced traumatic events, you do everything in your power to avoid that event, to avoid any reminders of that mm. event. So that's what some people are doing. And death is sacred, but we are watching Black lives die in front of us. And this is a weekly basis. Oof. That's good. Um, Janisha, so we've we've seen a lot of talk about, um, you know, especially with Black women that, the black women who have lost their lives to police brutality, um, you know, we don't speak of them as much. Would you say that they are getting the attention they deserve? Um, and, I, and why or why not? not. Um, I think black women, we are double minorities. You know, mm -hmm. we're black and we're women. Mm -hmm. um, and we are too often forgotten. Um, there are people like Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, and Pamela Turner, and all these other women who are not not to say that this is a competition as to who should have more press right. more recognition than the other um black lives are still being killed period point black um but i do believe that black women are underserved um especially when it comes to the recognition um of their stories and their debts so yeah interesting um Tyleek. So when we speak about, you know, black men and, and black women, um, you're a black man in America. Right. And, and you consider yourself a political activist. Um, but but you're also targeted no matter what your career is. Right. No matter where you went to school, you're targeted because you are simply a black man. So how has knowing this impacted your upbringing um, and, and how you choose to live your life today? Yeah, I think. As a black man in this country, it has always been a thought, excuse me, in the back of my head that I could face that very same mm. fate as 
any one of these uh, other black men. And a lot of folks know me as well as, as, as like a well-accomplished young man uh, who has been at the table with some of the world's most influential leaders and, and being able to advise world leaders and corporate executives on real issues. But the harsh reality is, regardless of any accomplishment or, or accolade that I may have in my name, um, I'm I'm still just a black guy mm. to a stranger on the streets. Mm. And, I, and I think that is what, you know, has to be that that's in my head and recognizing that that when I when I go out, I still carry, you know, the the great mantle of being black. Right. The honor of being Hello. black. Um, but I I still have to understand that there's still um deep built racism within this country that I when I step out outside of my out of my door, I gotta step out with a different mindset and a different um attitude. Mm. Interesting. Um, so Amanda, back to your point, um, you mentioned that it's not that, you know, seeing this has desensitized us, but more of traumatized us. Um, so to kind of continue on that point, how would you say our mental state has been impacted by what it is that we see, whether it be in the media, whether it be, um, on social media or, you know, a video that has resurfaced of, of a young man being killed. Um, how does this impact our mental state? Yeah. So whatever we experience in life becomes a part of our psyche. So consistently viewing these videos, consistently being exposed to this, to the disparities within the educational system, because this is bigger than just police brutality. Mm -hmm. And I have to continue to make this point um, which makes it that much more overwhelming for Black people who are experiencing this because we can't just focus on, um, let me see what I can do about police brutality mm -hmm. while all these other issues are going on. So we're experiencing this racial, this racial trauma. We're experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder. The people who are on the front lines daily are experiencing depression. Um, we're not really talking about how um, I believe his name was Marshawn McCarroll. He killed himself and he was at the at the head of a lot of these um, protests and he was at the head of a lot of this work and he killed himself on a, um, a at a national building mm. after he experienced so much daily trauma from being a black man so much. Um, he was putting into his mental about the disparities and about the oppression that he was experiencing and that he's watching others experience. And it became hard for him to express. And no one's really talking about that. Um, there's anxiety about where can I go? What can I do? There's post-traumatic stress disorder, racing thoughts, insomnia, um, so many things going on right now. And we're con we're kind of making it a little worse on ourselves by continuing to feed ourselves with these things. Um, we we kind of need to take a moment and, and disconnect from it. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, so, Janisha, what does it mean for you to be a political activist, especially during these times? And in the beginning, I spoke about, you know, I... I I love this group, right? Because I see that you guys are proactive. It's not just, you know, when things like this happen, you know, now we're on the front lines. You guys have been on the front lines. Um, so in spite of what's going on, um, what does it mean to be a political activist? What does it mean to be proactive um, so that we can try to do everything we can to prevent these situations or to bring about change to our people? I think revolution comes about when you are proactive instead of reactive. 
Um, I think for me, I made a post today um, that I got a, a lot of pushback for it. I basically said that people are now starting to realize what I've been preaching about on social media for years now. And so many people have come to me like, wow, you were right. Um, so definitely it makes me so happy that people are now being awakened to the evils of this system. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also, I'm sorry, I had a call. Um, but it's also a little, it makes me sad also that, you know, people are just now getting this information because, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we could have been doing the work together. Um, so I think. Being an activist, I don't really like the term political activist because I try to stay away from all things poli- politics. Right, right. Um, but I think for me, being, being an activist is it's an unpaid job that I clock into literally every day. Mm. Um, it's very dangerous. It's very risky. Um, I talked about earlier being arrested for my activism here in Tennessee. Um, more recently, my activism around the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest, who... Um, was a first grand wizard of the KKK. And, you know, we have statues of him in Tennessee all around in the state capitals, in parks, in museums. And that came with a lot of hate and actual death threats from the KKK themselves. Um, So it was very hard. And I want to uplift a name that, what's her name? I'm sorry, Sister Amanda um, just spoke about Marshawn McCarroll. He was 23 years old when he committed suicide. And his last tweet was, my demons won. I'm sorry. That was his last post. And I've suffered depression as well, being an activist. I I often think about, you know, what if Asada had a therapist or what if Malcolm had a therapist? How would their activism be different? Mm. And so I make it my business to, you know, go to therapy weekly, even virtually now. And it's helped so much because the life of an activist is so dangerous. It's it's risky. Um, it's a lot. It's overwhelming. Um, but it's honestly worth it. And I would not want another quote unquote title. Mm. Um, I feel like being an activist is my due diligence as a human being. It's, you know, it's the rent that I pay for living on this earth. Interesting. So, yeah. That's a very interesting perspective. Um, so Sally, Janisha talked about, you know, being a political activist is dangerous, right? It's risky. And so we've seen this, this kind of war, this battle on social media about whether people should be angrily, you know, looting and protesting versus whether people should be peacefully protesting. What is your stance on this? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's empowering first to stand with your people in solidarity because, um, as Asada Shakur said, we have nothing to lose but our chains. Come on. Um, and it's our duty to fight for our freedom and it's our duty to win. Um, so it's powerful to see a collective group of people demand, not ask, but demand their voices be heard. And I think folks in, in government and those in high places need to recognize that it's not a question, it's not a request, Oof. but it, it's a demand that people seek justice for the countless black and brown bodies that were disposable to a system that was said to protect and serve. And so as folks are in this fight for justice, we understand the importance uh, of what our movement is about and it's for the liberation of black people. And we also understand that there are plenty of movements inside of movements, uh, as you see around this country right now in this moment. Thousands of people who are peacefully protesting like my organization, National Action Network, and we're talking about policy changes as it pertains to police chokeholds, 
accountability, mm. et cetera, the same. And as we say from the streets, and we say like from the streets to the suites, but then there are folks who channel and express their anger differently. But for sure, people are hurt. People have anger. People have frustrations. Um, and folks say it was supposed to be a protest, not a robbery. But as Mama Sabrina Fulton said, the mother of Trayvon Martin, it was supposed to be an arrest, not a murder. Mm. And so folks furious. And, and, and please don't get it confused. Uh, the protesters are protesting and the looters are looting. So let us not mm. allow the occupant at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue to uh, distract us away from the real reason why folks are upset and on the streets. I mean, from the real reason that, that folks need the resources um, to protest and to organize, that police are throwing away waters and resources from, from protesters. Um, and um, so I, I don't want folks to get distracted by the real reason that folks are on the streets. It's, it's not it's, it's not about the, the looting. I mean, it's, it's not about, and as, and as our, my, our sister, uh, Tamika Mallory said, America taught us to be looters. Mm, America mm. were the original looters. When they, when they came and stole this land from the Native Americans, they taught us how to loot. And so uh, don't, we, we don't want that, that, that force of, of what this movement is about to be focused only on that. Ooh, child, President McMillan 2020, honey, put him in the race. Yes. Um, Amanda, what is, what is your stance on this? You know, like he said, we talked a lot about, you know, there being this debate between, you know, peacefully protesting and, and then there's violence and looting. Um, what is your stance on this, especially coming from kind of a mental mental health background? Yeah. When you've tried everything, when you've held everything in, when you've gone on continuously mm. and no, you have not been heard, nothing has changed. These are things that have been passed on generation to generation to generation. This is generational trauma. Mm. So um, when you see people in the streets rioting, when you see people in the streets um, protesting, this is hurt that they're feeling. This is pain. It's, it's not a show. Mm. Um, and, and honestly, I, I saw something that said, this is the cry of the unheard. And, and when you think about it, when white males shoot up a school, mm. they have a mental illness. But when we are out in the streets protesting for equity, protesting to stop the oppression, protesting to be heard about what's really going on and to get our voices heard, we are met with your, your looters. You're robbing us. You're destroying your neighborhood. You're a thug. But a white man can go into a, a school and shoot it up and he has a mental illness. This is mental illness. This is, this is I'm hurting. This is, this is the last straw. Somebody help me. Mm. And just imagine the children who are being exposed to this. There are children out there on the front lines as well with their parents. Mm -hmm. And their minds are being exposed to this. They're learning the world is not a safe place. I don't have anywhere to be. I don't have anywhere to go. The police is not safe. And this is all going to play out in how they behave because our thoughts impact our behaviors. Um, we, we've seen a lot of, a lot of pushback, um, when it comes to black businesses, right? And so we've seen a lot of people post, you know, don't, don't destroy our black businesses. 
Um, so would you say that you believe that that the black businesses are kind of just a casualty of war? Like they they may or they may not get get, you know, burnt down or should we stand against our black businesses being being destroyed? What is your stance on that? As much as we can, I believe that we should protect black businesses. But I do believe that there will be casualties. Um, I do believe there will be bloodshed. I do believe that things will be literally brought to the ground. Um, And that is why I don't believe that we are actually ready for what we are asking for. Mm. Mm, That's a good point. Talik, what about you? Uh, I missed it. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Um, Would you say that black businesses are are exempt? You know, we've seen a lot of pushback about black businesses and black businesses, excuse me, and and protect our black businesses. Um, Would you say that these are casualties of war and it might just happen or should we really take a stand for for protecting black businesses? Yeah, I I think I think we should also recognize what uh, what we're out there um, fighting for. Mm. Uh, we're fighting on behalf of the of the lives of black and brown people. Um, we're fighting for not only um, police reform, but we're, we're fighting for equity. And we're fighting for when we look at just this past stimulus bill that was passed here in Congress. Um, there was no money that, that that was even allocated as much to small businesses and black and minority owned businesses. Um, so when we see the the the, um, the the system that is failing our community. Um, such as a time as this is a moment that we should stand for our community mm. already when resources are not even going to our communities. Um, so we need to protect our communities. Um, and, and, and I feel like um, it, it, it's our duty um, to ensure um, that our excellence is not destroyed mm. um, because it's already has been a limit that, that the system has already put on our excellence to even be uh, of value. Good, good stuff. Janisha, so you were actually on the front, front lines. <laughs> I mean, you had the mic, for lack of better words. You had the bullhorn, um, and all eyes were on you. How was that for you? Um, It was, I mean, that's like, I, I was telling my friend who, um, that was her first protest on Saturday, and she was like, how do you do this every day? <laughs> um, and that's, that's literally what I do every day. I go and I speak, and I speak truth. Um, it was about 6,000 people out there. And I always say that, you know, the nerves and the nervousness go away when truth has to be spoken. Mm. And so everything goes out the window when it's time to speak. So um, it was, a, it was a, a, a great turnout. I did not expect um, the turnout to be that, you know, profound. I was one of the organizers for that protest. Um, we were not expecting that many people to come, but people came and showed out. Um See, I'm glad that people are now starting to hear the voices of young people um, and not pushing up to the side. I often get met with, you know, you're too young, you don't have the expertise, you're 23, go sit down. And so it's, it's, it's such a good feeling to have people to hear my voice when I've been doing this for so long, right. for like five years. Interesting. So, yeah. Interesting. So and during, during, during your speech... You said, you know, I don't want to hear that all lives matter, you know, because, you know, your your lives, your houses. Oh, honey, I listened. I sure did. <laughs> you know, your lives, your houses are, are not the ones being burnt down. Can you talk about that a little bit? You know, I did not have a speech prepared Saturday. I did not. Um, I only said that 
first line. I said that I do not want to hear that all lives matter when all lives are not being killed. And I said that because a senator, Senator Gilmore here in Tennessee, she got to the mic and said that all lives matter. And the entire crowd booed her. And she kept saying all lives matter, all lives Mm. matter. And I was really frustrated. And so instead of calling her out, I just, you know, I looked to her, I looked to the crowd and I just said, you know, what I said at the beginning of the speech. And I think the All Lives Matter quote bothers me so much because it's a deflection. Mm. Um, and it, it removes the responsibility off of the people who are killing us to make us say Black Lives Matter. Uh, we're not just saying that Black Lives Matter for no reason. Obviously, um, and especially if you believe in a higher power, um, God created us all to be equal. Um, unfortunately, here on Earth, that is not the case. But All Lives Matter is... You know, it's inevitable. Um, it's, it's a fact. All lives do matter. But right now, we're talking about the Black ones. So I have to recenter things. And um, after she said that I had to, you know, get the crowd back hopeful because mm-hmm. I, I could I could feel the energy. I could feel the shift in the crowd. I could feel the hope being swayed away um, because someone that we elected Someone that we put into office is telling us at a Black Lives Matter rally that all lives matter. Mm. And so that was completely unacceptable to me. And so I just had to speak my truth in that moment. Nice. That's that's nice. And I think a lot of people will agree with you on that. Um, Talik, you you also went to to a protest in D.C. And, and as we've seen on the news, things have been getting crazy. So tell me about your experience protesting. Yeah, um, like... Like said, uh, it's it's crazy. I mean, if you step out there, you you step out at a, a risk, and that's the risk that you take. Um, but but it, but it's empowering. It's empowering to to, to stand in, in solidarity with folks, um, and it's empowering to for folks to to express themselves uh, to to, uh, to their um, elected officials. Um, and and the thing about organizing is, um, like I said, you have different folks who are out there. Uh, everybody may not be on the same you know, the same wave that you're on in, in, in organizing. Um, but the great thing about it is it's a bunch of black people who are mm. all there fighting for the liberation of all black people um, so that we may have uh, a, the, the best life possible, Hello. our best life, the same <laughs> way um, everybody else in this country does. Interesting. So let's let's shift gears just a bit, right? We we all went to HBCUs. Woo woo. So shout out to the HBCUs. Yes, TSU, AccuPride. Um, I actually know Janisha because she was Miss Sophomore um, when I was Miss A&T, and I'm very actually very close with her queen um, that was Miss TSU at the time. Um, so we we've all went to HBCUs, and I think we can all kind of acknowledge the impact that they had um, on our journeys thus far. So Amanda, starting with you, what would you say? Or what role would you say HBCUs play, especially during times like this? <laughs> I think the role of our HBCUs are to encourage us to pull from what we were founded on, to pull from the people who came before us and stood up and protested and fought for what fought for justice. Um, I think it's also important for our HBCUs to give us strategy. Um, because a lot of people are leading. We have a lot of leaders. We mm. don't have um, a lot of directions. So people are going off and doing different things. We're not together right now. So I think the role of the HBCU is to help us to be united, help us to follow one strategic plan um, and just continue to encourage us and not 
not um, not cut our voices off. Interesting. Janisha, what about you? What would you say the role is for HBCUs during the, during this time? Um, I would echo a lot of what um, Amanda said. We, you know, back in the 60s, you, you could pinpoint a leader, you know, like that. You had Malcolm, you had um, Dr. King, you had so many different people. But now we have leaders, but nobody knows who to follow. Mm. And so when people ask me, you know, who do we follow? I think we, you know, we, we can follow HBCU. We should follow, you know, the black church, people that have black establishments that have resources and capital and, you know, recognition. So I definitely think that the role of HBCUs in this fight is to unite us, to bring us together so that we can follow one concise mm. black agenda, if you will. Um, and also because they're historically black colleges and universities um, and they house, they educate a lot of the black bodies who are being killed. So I think that's the role. Nice. Tyleek, what about you? Tell us about the role HBCU should play um, during this time. Yeah. Yeah, I think HBC can play a very critical role um, in the minds of, of young Black people. Um, HBCUs, I, I feel like, um, are, are, are the universities that make space um, for for um, this type of shaping of activism. Um, there's a curriculum that is focused on shape, shaping the minds of young Black folks mm, to mm-hmm. step out into, into a world that says that, that you are less than. Um, and, and, and what I love about, you know, North Carolina Agricultural and Technical <laughs> State University, it's a university where it teaches you not what to think, but how to think. And I think that's very critical um, in how folks step out into this world uh, where where you're not even accepted. Interesting. Um, Tyler, you also mentioned um, during your introduction that, you know, you work alongside Al Sharpton, right? So how would you say your job, your career, your professional obligation has allowed you to use your voice um, on a personal level and a professional level um, to kind of combat police brutality? Like, how do you use your seat at the table? Right, right. Um, a, a lot of times, I'm, I'm even to this, even to this day, I'm very, very amazed and I'm very grateful for the mantle that God has placed on my life to actually, at only at 23 years old, to be able to sit at tables uh, at, with senators and congressional members, um, um, political candidates. I had the opportunity to, to advise every single presidential candidate um, on, the, on the Democratic side. And so um, I, the mantle is, 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 is heavy, um, but, I, but I find it a pleasure because um, I'm not only uh, advocating for my brothers and my sisters in my community, but I but I am advocating for generation to yet to, to yet be on to, to be born, um, and that's how I look at it. I, I, the way that I feel is in the words of Elijah Cummings that like when I'm dancing with the angels, I wanna I wanna feel like that there's a generation that's coming after me that that won't have to endure the things that generations before me and my generation had to face, um, and I feel like. Um, being being able to sit at the table, I'm able to to see the issues. I'm able to be on the front line and hear the concerns of my people. And I'm able to sit at the table, not only not thinking as Tyleek, but I but I'm able to think as uh, my brother and sister to my left, my left and my right. And so that's that's what I find most rewarding. Interesting. Um, that's good stuff. Tyleek, you also, I know that with your job, um, with your career, I'm sure you work closely with the media. Um, so, so with everything going on, would you say that the media has made the situation better or, or worse? 
Yeah. Um, and so, like I said, I, I work for Reverend Sharpton. He also has a, um, a TV and radio show uh, on uh, MSNBC. And so a good thing about, you know, able to have anchors who are in this fight um, and in this movement, being able to have their own show and make sure to shed the light is we have folks who actually share the real stories uh, and the real uh, struggles faced in our communities. Um, and I, I, I think for, for, for like when we look at the media, all we see is the protests, all mm-hmm, we see mm-hmm. the looting, all we see is the fires. Um, I, but I do think the media has a responsibility to, 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 to show um, the voices of the people who are in the mm-hmm. streets. Yes, I mean, yes, it's good, you know, for, for folks around the world to see what's happening here in America. But it's also good to have those black and brown faces in the camera. Mm-hmm. saying why they're upset, mm-hmm. saying why they're out in the streets. So it, it, it is their duty to, to share that message. Good stuff. Um, Amanda, um, I was extremely grateful to have you um, as a speaker today because I think it's important that we, we talk about the mental health perspective because sometimes we don't shed enough light um, on the mental health, especially when it comes to Black people. Um, so, so as a Black social worker... What is it that you all are doing, um, and, and you personally too, um, to have a positive impact on people who are um, dealing with what's going on? Because let's be real, like you said, people are hurting. I'm hurting. Child, I was on a team meeting today, and you know they kind of gave us a space to talk, and I started talking. I got choked up, and I just immediately put the computer on mute because, like I said, I saw my brother laying there. You know what I mean? I saw my brother on, on George, my brother's face on on George Floyd's body. Um, so. How how are so, black social workers? How is that that space kind of creating a positive impact for people who are hurting and who feel helpless and don't know what to do or where to go? Yeah. Um, so me being an advocate and being someone who is in the helping field, I'm always trying to figure out how can I help, how can I fix, what can I do. So I think it's important that black social workers, black therapists. Um, people, black people in the helping field, period, take a moment and really try to process what they're feeling and take a moment, step back and, you know, take care of yourself. But even in that, I've been hoping I've been holding a safe space virtually for um, for black men and black women to just process. I really enjoy group therapy. So um, I've got some black men and black women together over Zoom and just made it a, a space for them to just talk. Whatever's on your heart, talk about it, because we cannot continue to walk around with this anger. We cannot continue to walk around with this depression and this anxiety and this stress. And we're not talking about it. Um, when you when you think about everything we're holding in and then you think about how they tell us that oh, Black people are at a higher risk for heart disease. Black people are at a higher risk for um, high blood pressure. We're at a higher risk for depression. You have to think about, what well, am I at a higher risk because of my skin color? Why am I mm-hmm. at a higher risk? And it's because we are walking around generation after generation with this hurt. or walking around generation after generation with stress and anxiety and depression, and we're not talking about it. We're not, we're not having those safe spaces. So I think that it's important to first, if you're a therapist, First, check on yourself during this time, but then open up these safe spaces where it's not a lot of educational lingo. It's not a lot of, you know, 
um, white terminology that we use, that we have to use when we're around other people, make it a safe space, a real safe space for us to process and to think and to strategize and to just be. Interesting. That's good stuff. Um, so, Janisha, let's let's throw it back a little bit. Um, when, you, when you did your introduction, you talked about an experience, well, two experiences <laughs> where you were arrested um, while protesting. Um, and, and I can only imagine, you know, you even talked about like death threats, you know, directly from the KKK. I, I can only imagine, you know, and you even mentioned, you know, how dangerous it is and how risky it is. Yet you're still here. Yet you're still persevering. Yet, yet you're still on the front lines. Talk about that experience. And and what what is it that makes you keep going? What is it that makes you still stand as a strong activist, even after being arrested um, for for essentially doing the right thing or fighting for justice? Yeah, I always tell people that, you know, arrests don't scare me. You know, death doesn't even scare me. Bondage does, oppression does, um, injustice does. So I feel called and led to do this work. Um, Trust me, if I had it my way, I would choose to live an easy life. This is not, you know, an Mm -hmm. easy life, but I feel called to do this work, which is why I continue to do this work. Um, If you look at my Instagram, people, you know, see the Black Panthers surrounding me when when I come into a protest or speaking engagement, and and they think it's something cute to do or no. Like, people have literally, you know, had threats on my life. They've attempted threats on my life. I've had to move um, even recently, the past couple of months. and it's all because people want to hurt me because I I speak truth and I speak against the evils of white supremacy. And I think it's more extreme in the South, especially in a state like Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you mess with, you know, there's their symbolic um, ideals of white supremacy, a.k.a. Nathan Metro Force and all things KKK, they come for you. And so um, it's, it's definitely scary at times. I'm originally from Memphis. I don't have family in Nashville. Um, I do have a great support system here, but mm-hmm. you know, when, when you're home, it just feels a little more comfortable and safe. Um, but yeah, I don't have family here. Um, and it's very, very scary. I have to move a little different. My life has totally changed. Um, I have to check in, you know, with the people that protect me. Um, I can't, you know, just be out at the wee hours of, of the night by myself. Um, and people, you know, they, they recognize me. I've even had people where the day after I was arrested, we went to a coffee shop to kind of um, to draft up a press release because multiple students were arrested. And they threw hot coffee on us because they like they recognized us. Like, oh, those are the students that, you know, got arrested. You know, just racist mm-hmm. white people just throwing coffee and just being really belligerent for no reason. So it's definitely a tough life. But like I said before, being arrested doesn't scare me. That does not even scare me. Bondage, injustice, oppression, those things scare me, you know? So, mm. um, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like I'm doing what I'm called to do. Um, yeah, and, and also what Amanda said earlier, I, I do believe in this fight there will be casualties there, there will be death threats there will be bloodshed there will be um so many casualties that i do not think we are prepared for which mm-hmm. is why 
I feel like if, if you're not ready to die behind this, you should not talk about revolution or all things radical because there, unfortunately there has to be, you know, casualties in this fight. So I'm just the one that's prepared to face those casualties. Wow, that's powerful. Ooh, that's powerful. I'm sweating. Um, Amanda, so listening to Janisha, right, like she said, it is scary, right? And, you know, she was one of the ones that was arrested and, you know, she kind of dealt with, you know, the death threats and the things that that came after, you know, being arrested. But I'm sure there are, are, are many Black people who are also on the front lines that may not deal with, you know, the extent of, of what she dealt with, um, but still hatred, right? Still being racially profiled. You know, we see these people being tear gassed and we see these crazy stories on, you know, on the news and in the media. And it's all just it's scary. You know, it's overwhelming. Um, aside from, you know, what you talked about with safe spaces, what are some things that people can do to take care of their mental health during this time? Yeah, and I think that's so important because we don't have the luxury of really fully disconnecting from it, but we can create um, a space for ourselves to disconnect from it. And that can be through hobbies. That can be through um, nature. I find that being in nature and just um, just viewing the things that are around you kind of grounds you in and takes you to a different place, realizing just how beautiful God's creations are. Um, another thing that you can do is to limit your social media interaction. I know that's how we get our updates. That's how we um, stay up to date with people who are actually on the front lines. But you have to limit that at, at some point because you're feeding it to your psyche. Um, there's a there's a um, modality called acceptance and commitment therapy. And within acceptance and commitment therapy, it, it tells you to live by your values and it tells you to um, accept accept your feelings, accept what's going on right now, but still commit to changing things. So I think that's really important in this discussion because we have to make sure that we're still living by our values mm -hmm. and that we're not just letting people be oppressive. We're not just letting it um, slide, but at the same time, we have to accept, okay, this is what I'm feeling right now. This is what's really going on right now. I'm going to commit to doing this, but I also realize I need a break. Mm. So self-compassion is going to be really important. Good stuff. Self-compassion. That's, that's, I need that. I needed that. <laughs> um, okay. So we're getting ready to wrap this up. Atelik, I have another question for you. And then one more question for the group. Um, again, you, you know, you work a lot with media and, um, you know, Amanda mentioned, you know, social media. Uh, and I know we've seen, you know, a lot of celebrities who have been, you know, allegedly canceled because of their, you know, their thoughts on, um, you know, police brutality and the protesting, um, so if you think, you know, like Desi Banks and B. Simone and, you know, Tokyo Jets who made who made the the inappropriate joke about George Floyd, George Floyd, excuse me. So, Tali, what what do you think about this? Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on 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 the black people kind of canceling our black celebrities for for their comments and views and thoughts on on these matters? I think I think ignorance should be addressed. Definitely. Um, if folks I feel like before. Um, I think some folks, when they see it's a wave or they see that it's a popular thing or that they see it's what's, what everybody is talking about, um, they feel it's a need that they must comment on it. Um, but I feel like uh, ignorance um, plays a role in it. Uh, folks are saying stuff that that's very ignorant. 
And I think it's our duty as a people uh, to correct the ignorance um, that that that's there. I mean, I think before, you know, like folks, before they get on social media or before they post some stuff, I mean, it, it needs to be well thought through before they put it out. Um, but but I, but I honestly feel that during this time, you see um, what the, what folks are really mm-hmm. about. Like you, you really see where they stand at. Um, and it's a quote that says the, uh, the monsters and folks is going to come out in the darkness mm-hmm. or whether what that's in, in black folks or, or, or whether that's just by ignorance there or is by, you know, seeing white people say some reckless stuff like we, we, we see um, the ignorance. But I also think it's our responsibility to educate these folks when it's when it's said um, on, on uh, the traumas and the hurt that comes from saying comments like that. That was good. That that was a great perspective. Um, and like you said, it's not to necessarily bash, but like you said, if it's ignorance, it needs to be addressed. Um, okay, so we're, we're getting ready to wrap this up. Um, and so I'm, I want to ask one last question, um, and this is for everyone. We'll start with Janisha, we'll go to Talik, and then, then we'll go to Amanda to close us off. Um, if you were given a couple of minutes and, and a mic that the entire world could hear you speak on, um, what would you say? What what advice would you give to a grieving world? Janisha, let's start with you. Um, I think if, if I had a mic that I could speak to the whole world and say, I would I would say, um, if you've ever wondered what you would have done during the civil rights movement, then you're doing it now. And if that's nothing, then you know, I urge you to get to work. I would say to a grieving people to address the pain, to acknowledge it, to feel it. Um, I just got done reading for the third time, Post-Traumatic Space and drawn by Dr. Joy DeGroom. And it's a great book. And every time I feel re-traumatized, I reread this book. Um, And basically it talks about, for example, um, so in the military, you know, they witnessed so many atrocities um, murders, they even have to partake in some. And they come back to America and they have all these resources um, that are given to them from the government. But when you think about slaves and their descendants, where are the trauma centers for them? Where are the rehabilitation centers for, for us? Um, and so I think we have to not only address the current modern day trauma, we have to address the ancestral you know, trauma too that has been passed down unwillingly to us. So we have to recognize that, we have to feel that, we have to feel that rage and we just have to get through it together as a unit. Um, Personally, that's been something that's been super hard for me, um, especially in this day and age, but it's something that we have to do. So I would just say to feel it, acknowledge it, name it, sit in it, and then get through it. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Talik, what about you? If you had a mic, that the whole world could hear you speak on. Um, what would you say? What advice would you give to a grieving world? Yeah, uh, I think I think she said it so beautifully. Um, but I will repeat the words of our sheroes and heroes who have paid the weight uh, of justice before us. That this is not a sprint. Um, it's a marathon. It's not a. It's not a moment. It's a movement. Uh, and time will really tell who is serious about joining a movement for change. Um, rather than those who are just riding the wave because it's, a, it's good to post a picture of you holding your fists up saying no justice, no peace, or if just for the likes or, 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 the, or, or the comments. And I repeat, 
and the worries of, of my big brothers and sisters um, who, I, who I, I've had the honor of working with, that for those who are serious about justice um, for the true liberation of our people, after the hashtags fade away, after the news headlines fade away, time will tell who is, who, who is ready for the fight and who is equipped for the fight. Um, because th there's going to be plenty of, of long days that you feel about, that you feel alone in this fight. But but you should stay encouraged. Um, you should continue to love on each other, love on your neighbor, um, because we're all in this together. Uh, we're all we're all in this together. We're all we're all fighting for that same that that, that same opportunity. Um, and it's up to us to ensure that that if as we're going forward, we're pulling our 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 our, our brothers and sisters up right right behind us. Good. That's amazing. That was awesome. All right, Amanda, bring us home. What advice would you give to a grieving world? Um, I think I would just start by saying that a lot of the things we know about race was not intentionally were not intentionally taught to us. Um, a lot of things we learned through observation. Um, no one taught us to move out of the way when a white woman or a white man is coming towards us. These are behaviors that we began to pick up on. So um, just like Janisha said, we were born exposed to trauma um, and it was unintentional. But I think we have to I would encourage us to be intentional about undoing it. I would encourage us to be intentional about healing. I would encourage us to be intentional about being strategic and and being a community, because I feel like in some aspects we have really lost that. Um, so, yes, be connected to the community. Be intentional about your healing. Be intentional about just being. Good stuff. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I I feel so enlightened. I feel so refreshed. I feel so good. Um, and Amanda, you talked about, you know, creating those safe spaces. This right here is my safe space. You know what I mean? To hear from people my age, you know, my peers who, who believe in the same things that I believe in, who went to HBCUs um, and who are here to uplift black people. Um, it feels good to talk about these things, you know, especially when I, I feel like I don't know what to say or I don't know what to do. Um, I, I'm still fighting the same fight, but sometimes you just feel helpless. So to hear from you all who are on the front lines, um, and who, who's, who's fighting this fight, it feels good. It feels really, really, really good. Um, so I'm so grateful to y'all. Thank y'all so much, not only um, for joining me on the podcast, but just for what you do every day, um, just being proactive in the fight um, and, and truly, truly fighting for change because we need that. Um, and I think this is what what puts puts our HBCUs on the map. This is what puts our, you know, our, our peers on the map. Um, this is what puts our created Black businesses and, and media outlets on the map. So I think it's so important. Um, so yes, thank you so much for joining me. Did you guys want to shout out your uh, social media handles? I know everybody want to follow me on the, like on such and such. Amanda, you want to shout out your... Uh, my tag is Instagram is Janisha.Harris, J-E-N-E-I-S-H-A dot Harris. Um, Janisha C. Harris on Twitter, Janisha Harris on Facebook, and my website is JanishaHarris.com. Oh, cool. Tyleek, Amanda. I'm on platforms at Tyleek McMillan, T-Y-L-I-K-M-C-M-I-L-A-N, and that's on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All right. Amanda. And you can find me on Instagram at Carrie on Justine, C-A-R-R-Y-O-N-J-U-S-T-I-N-E. And my website is carryonjustine.com. And your YouTube, Love don't it. play. And the YouTube, though, what the YouTube. Oh, yeah, and my YouTube, you can find I'm going to follow you guys. 
<laughs> wait, wait, Amanda, I didn't hear your uh, YouTube. Oh, my YouTube channel is Carry On Justine as well. Perfect, perfect. So yes, thank you so much. Please be sure to follow each okay. other. Um, oh yeah, I'm gonna follow you guys right now. Yes, please, I, please. I just want to say it was an honor to be on this thing with such a absolutely like each of you in your own spaces and thank you uh for allowing me to be on here with you guys absolutely absolutely so yes thank you guys so much again for joining i like i literally cannot thank y'all enough um for for joining with me today and shedding light on, on this issue so yes that's it for today and uh thank you to all my listeners as well for joining and listening to this episode of ax maja podcast we will see you on the next one But you know, Maj for short. (laughs) Axe Maj.